Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and I'm here for this text-driven Tuesday with Jay Jones. Morning. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going all right. Yeah, yeah, not bad. I feel tired. Do you feel tired? I do. Yeah, yeah. I woke up very tired today. Yeah. Mm. With a little bags under my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't really usually have that, so I was kind of surprised. <laughs> Look at them. Darkness. Never have it. Yeah. You're not looking at chipper as you usually do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah fun week fun week george <clears throat> well this was a this was a difficult passage for you mm-hmm. not and just for me apparently <laughs> for for everybody who's ever gone through this book oh yeah in the history of mankind yeah yeah well i, I thought before we i don't know should we should you read it first before we talk about okay yeah I mean, it, it might, that might would be fun yeah. It could be a fun experiment. We can say, okay, listen, like I'm going to read it, and then you try to tell me what it's right. about as you listen to it, all right? right. You, you see if you can discern a thread uh-huh. through this thing or not. Okay. So this is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, 14 through 29 through the end of the chapter. Wait, that's not where it began. It's 15. 15. All right, I've got it ready on the screen, beginning in verse 15. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out of both of them, from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off, very and it is deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search and... Search out and seek wisdom and the scheme of things, and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness, and I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases her escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I have found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See this, I alone have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. All right, well, you didn't talk about it a whole lot in your sermon, which I don't I don't blame you. Um, the, the difficulty mm. that you experienced as you were working on this. So maybe walk us through um, the difficulty that you discovered in the commentaries. Okay. Uh, and then we can talk a little bit about what what do we do when we come to a difficult passage like this as pastors who are committed to expositional preaching. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the difficulty that you discovered as you approached this text. 
So as you just listen to it read, or if you just sit down and read it, you may first discover it seems like there's not really a theme, like a, like a continual thread of a theme. I'm turning my mic down a little bit. It sounds a little loud. There's not really a, like a, is there a, is there a, is there a theme or a thread that holds all of this together? Because it seems like he's just raising one disconnected topic and then changing to another topic, and there seems to be no connection to them. He's just rambling on about all these different things. Um, and that's what many people say in the, <laughs> in the, uh, in the, in the commentaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gradanus, he starts his section on this. These, this is one of those passages who makes, uh, gets uh, pastors to pacing in their studies. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And I, then you have some that just will not even. I mean, they'll very, like, okay, I'm writing a commentary. Mm-hmm. I've been commissioned to do this task, and you know, I'm under contract, so I got to comment on these verses, and so they'll just touch on them like super lightly, with like the most general, mm. obvious <laughs> wisdom that there is. Like, just br- briefly touch on it, and then move on. Yeah. So. And then there's, you know, you got to deal with, you know, verse 19 seems to come out of nowhere. Like it doesn't belong in there. Yeah. It's very strange. It's like pops in out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Obviously, looks like it could go in Ecclesiastes, maybe a little verses later or even sooner, but then, you know. So it just, it's a, you can't, a sermon is not just a running commentary. So I suppose you could just get up and explain each verse line by line, mm-hmm. but that wouldn't be a sermon. Right. Um, and I'm not really sure you could arrive at, you could put it together in a way people could just understand what is he what is he driving at behind all this. Um, so, you know, usually what I do, George, is if I'm really struggling, I'll go, um, I have Calvin's commentaries in there. Right. And I've told you before, like he, Calvin Calvin is like a genius. Like what are those people called that are beyond geniuses? Savants. Savant. I'm convinced he's a savant. Now, I'm not talking like you can argue theology about it whatever if you're an Arminian. The man was a savant. No one before him. He had no one to go like who is he go to before? Nobody. Mm-hmm. It's him and the Greek and the Hebrew. And and so I have found is that modern commentators they'll borrow from him mm. they're they're just they're borrowing from him and that means that he's like really onto it usually yeah the plain meaning he's getting the plain meaning of the text and not you know eisegeting things into it he didn't talk, he didn't talk about ecclesiastes yeah. so <laughs> you know if i'm struggling i'll go grab one of those can't do it mm-hmm. can't go to luther luther's pretty good too yeah. he's got some strange quirks sometimes but um you know, you can usually go, and, yeah. you know, there's not. Mm-hmm. John MacArthur, obviously in the New Testament, can give you a good idea. Um, he didn't really preach a lot in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It never did, and even in his Bible, he's got, like, um, study Bibles. Uh-huh. Sometimes those will have, like, really good notes in it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, Nothing. even in here, it's not. Yeah. This, in this section, it's not, not really a lot there at all, yeah. like, even discussed, so... Yeah. So what do you do? Um, 
you're preaching through a book of the Bible, you come to a passage and you you just don't really know what to right. do with it. Um, but what do you do? The, you pray a lot. Okay, that's it. That's I'm telling you. That's what you do. You start to pray a lot, a yeah. lot, a lot more than usual. Um, you read it over and over. That's what I did. Read it over and over and over, and pray a lot. <clears throat> Take a nap. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I told you before. Like it's a it's a life hack. Yeah. Next level life hack. If you if you just can't get something, you're stuck. You take like a ten minute nap, and when you wake up, right when you wake up, your mind will be like insanely clear, mm. and often then like you'll have um, insight. It'll just come to you. Can't explain it. Don't know how the brain works like that, but for me it does. And so I just had this kind of this idea, and I think kind of the clue that got me onto it was the 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 strange verse about a thousand women not finding one good in a thousand. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, something else is going on here. Like, he's not making misogynistic comments. Mm. And then, then I realized he actually had a thousand wives. Mm. So I'm like, all right, so this, what if this whole section is functioning like a confession? Mm. So I began to look at it like that. <clears throat> and then I told you, I went and I found Matthew Henry, which yeah. I, I usually don't, I never even read Matthew Henry stuff ever. Um, on rare occasion, and so I found Matthew Henry, and he treated the section like that thought that I had, mm-hmm. that this is a, a confession, Solomon's making a confession. Yeah. It's easy for people to just kind of dismiss Matthew Henry. I don't know why. Right. Um, we, I think we forget that he was like this giant of a Puritan. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about the Puritans all the time. We read the Puritans... For some reason, Matthew Henry just kind of gets shuffled to the side. And you can find his commentaries for free online. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to buy them. Right. Um, they've, they've, been, uh, they've been helpful to me in the past, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. So, yeah, then I, you know, once I kind of was hunting that trail, you know, clued into it by the thousand women here, <laughs> I went back and reread all of the verses uh-huh. uh, have to do with Solomon. Mm-hmm. His biography, and I'm like, man, this really, really now is sounding like a confession. Mm. Like, yeah. so really, the whole book almost the whole book functions in that way. Mm-hmm. But I think these verses in particular, right, seem to be anyway, him uh, laying it all out there. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I, I think it's, um, I think not only the, the, um, I guess the the topic or the way that you treated the passage was important for the congregation, but I think it's also important for them to see like we we don't skip over difficult passages. Mm-hmm. Um, all of Scripture is God breathed, and so when you come to a difficult passage in your daily devotions, actually try to figure out what it says. Yeah. Pray, mm-hmm. pray about it, think about it, meditate upon it, um, seek out other other resources, see what yeah. other other guys have said about it. But mm-hmm. don't just don't just say, "Well, I don't know what that means," so I'm going to mm-hmm. just kind of throw it to the side. Yeah, uh, it's, it's important to um, to treat all of God's word as inspired, mm-hmm. and, and God knows what we need. Yeah, um, so yeah. it's it's good to it's good to see you. Um, 
kind of dealing with a difficult passage also. Yeah, some some people, you know, in the modern in our modern world, mm-hmm. I've talked about four. Was his name is his name Adam Hamilton, Kansas City. He kind of created that hermeneutic that's used wi- kind of widely now among uh, progressive Christians. He's got like these buckets you throw God's mm-hmm. word in, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he'll say, look, there are part of the parts of the Bible that were never God's word. Yeah. They're just written by men. Yeah. Like so I think he'd probably throw these in that cuz he'd say, look, Solomon's a misogynist. Yeah. He just hates women. <laughs> right. So we can take this section. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. So now I don't have to preach it. Right. Because who wants to preach the words of a misogynist that weren't inspired by God? Mm-hmm. Throw it in the bucket. Yeah. Let's let's continue moving on mm-hmm. to some wisdom stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Um but we don't believe that. Yeah. So um I don't think Solomon is a misogynist, as we'll see as we go through. And more than talking bad about women, I think he's actually talking bad about himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you started the sermon by talking about paradoxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you gave some. Uh, you gave some pretty good ones. Yeah. Paradoxes are always fun, George. The uh, the certainty paradox. Yeah. You started with that with Forrest Gump. Yes. Yes. I, I knew uh, if I started with that, everyone would pay attention because mm-hmm. everyone knows the Forrest Gump quote. You know, yeah. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So, what is a paradox? It's that. Uh, the, so the. The only thing that is certain in life is that nothing is certain, mm-hmm. which creates a strange loop in your mind. Like certain that nothing is certain, but you said it's certain that nothing's certain. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what the life is like, a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Everything's uncertain, but that's real positive because mm-hmm. chocolates are yummy. Mm-hmm. So variety of variety of good things, but you really can kind of see from uh, even in that movie. I don't know. There's a, Gump, there's a there's a there's a few of those chocolates that questionable. Yeah. Well, even in Forrest Gump's life, he's I mean he's a Vietnam veteran. He's yeah. you know, all kinds of bad things happen. Yeah. So it really, it'd be like getting a poison chocolate every once in a while. Like that makes you sick. <laughs> like you eat a chocolate every once in a while that gives you food poison. Yeah. That's more what life is like. Okay. Well, now I'm never eating out of a box of chocolate ever <laughs> yeah. again, Jay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I you, you had the Epimenides paradox from from Titus. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a fun. That's a fun one. Yeah, the Cretans are always liars, evil mm-hmm. beasts, lazy gluttons, mm-hmm. and the paradox is that the man who said it is a Cretan. Uh-huh. So is he lying or is he telling the truth? And right. So it's that's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Paul actually answers it. He says he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't solve the paradox. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, you had a weird space alien one. Yeah. As soon as you, you said... You ever heard as, that one? As soon as you said space alien... Space aliens. I, I was like, where is he going? Yeah. <laughs> Where's mm-hmm. the sermon going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never know what you're going to do when it comes to space aliens. Is it, but that was a fun thought experiment. Yeah. Well, as I thought it was. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. think that was was it helpful? Uh, I, I guess. Did you pick up what I was putting down on it? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But I started thinking about other things while you were while you were talking <laughs> no. about space aliens. You did. Yeah. You did? Yeah. Well, it it it's always it's always weird to me, you know, when people talk about space aliens and they ask, well, you know, where why haven't we been contacted and all right. this, and I I just wonder why why do they always there's a lot of assumptions that go into that. Right. Why are they assuming that space aliens somewhere else are any more advanced than we are? Right. There could be space aliens, you know, billions of light years away that are sitting on their couch 
watching Netflix too. <laughs> I mean, why, <laughs> why do we have, why do we have to assume that space aliens are, uh, you know, high tech and trying to reach out to, right. to us? Well, so the paradox for them, what they, there are a lot of assumptions mm -hmm. and the first assumption that's bad is that evolution is true. Right. <laughs> right. So this is, this is kind of a, this doesn't fit with our worldview. But even in their own worldview, they recognize there's a problem. Given the age of the universe and that there are billions of stars just like ours and billions of planets just like ours, just in our Milky Way ga galaxy. We're right. not even talking about the universe. Yeah. And all, how much time, deep time there is, they say there should be tons of advanced civilizations capable of contacting us. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and we can't even detect any signals of any kind out there. Like, yeah. like they we accidentally found them. Maybe they didn't want to talk to us because mm -hmm. they observed us or something. There's nothing. It's like we're totally alone. So that's the paradox: is that statistically, <clears throat> we should have been contacted, yeah. and we're not. So where are they all at? They're probably on Planet X. Yeah, getting ready to behind the sun where right. we can't yeah. see them, making a <laughs> making a, a tactical approach. Uh -huh. Surprise, yeah. right? Uh, so what is the what's the paradox that we're looking at in Ecclesiastes seven? Uh, there are two. We're going to look at two paradoxes. The the first is the paradox of the problem of evil, and the second one is the paradox of the sin of Solomon. The man himself is a paradox. So, and the two are really interconnected. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, let's look at these. And let's everyone, these. I mean, everyone grapples with this. Oh yeah. What he raises is. You know, the problem of evil, as you said, there's the logical problem. Mm -hmm. It's kind of how you want to introduce that, yeah. which you can get on, you know, I can get a whiteboard out and explain the problem of evil to you, you know, given that, you know, we profess that God is all-powerful, one, God is all-good, two, three, God is omniscient, you know, so this good God who's all-powerful, knows everything, would know how to stop evil, mm -hmm. four, evil exists. So now we go to the fifth, and what they say is God does, God does not exist. Evil exists, we know that, so God can't exist. The God, right. you Christians say, anyways, mm -hmm. they say he can't. Now, that's easily defeated mm -hmm. by adding another proposition. You can do right. it a variety of ways, free will. Um, the Molinists have their way. Mm -hmm. um, I prefer the, old, the, uh, the, the way of the Bible. Does that, does that shock <laughs> you? <laughs> but you can add a proposition in there. Yeah. Um, you're going to trigger some people. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy. You just add this proposition. God chose to glorify himself in the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. You may not like it, but that defeats the problem of evil, because um, for the crucifixion to be to happen, you have to have evil in the world. Right. So God chose to glorify himself through the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. But that's not going to help you when bad things are happening. Just right. defeating defeating that logical problem. The experiential problem is the real problem. Right, and this is this is your first point, the paradox of the problem of, of evil. Mm -hmm. It's not so much the problem of evil in general, the mm -hmm. philosophical problem. Mm -hmm. It's the experiential problem of evil. It's, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the question that everyone asks, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, that's yeah. that. That's the paradox, right? Yeah, and so what? What we don't want to do because you'll run the tension that's there, and and it's real, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to go. Well, actually, theologically, there aren't any good people. Mm -hmm. Like you might end up there. Mm -hmm. I think as Solomon works through here, he kind of does. But mm -hmm. okay, well, 
that doesn't solve the problem because I look at the world and I see really, really wicked people. Mm-hmm. They don't care about God at all. Right. They actually, you know, that maybe they even hate him and they just, they live, you know, the hedonist life mm-hmm. doing everything God said not to do. And nothing ever bad happens to them in this life. In fact, they get richer. Yeah. They get richer and they're prospering and they live long lives and they seem to be happy. And then you have, you know, other people, that, the good people, they're trying to follow God, you know, obey His laws, His commands, uh, trying to seek Him, follow Him, follow Christ, and they're always sick all the time. Mm. And they suffer, and they're, they're not rich, they have no influence in the world, and they die early, they die young. So you're saying don't immediately say, well, there's none good, <laughs> right? Yeah. so why do good things happen to bad people? There's no one good. Yeah, you know, right. We're talking. Help. We're talking in a um a relative sense, like relatively, relatively good, yeah. good people. And that's that's what he's that's what he's getting at, as we'll see. Yeah, relatively speaking. So you know, this awful thing happened this past week with the girl from Comanche, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. who yeah. was killed by the FedEx guy. Yeah, he was like a contracted FedEx guy, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah, very. Mm-hmm. Weird, but that one hit close to home because I looked in the ring camera like the day before that, mm. and Evangeline ran out for the UPS man. Mm. Okay, and I was like, "Nah." Um, now, following her was, you know, the one who's always following her around, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> the one who sees all, the one, yeah, the one who sees all. Uh, many are Connie Corso. So, but I still had to explain to her, Evangeline. You have this view of the world that's not real. This is a real conversation I had with her. You think people are good because you know you're around us good, and good people. You're around good people. You know, the people yeah. at church, they care about you. Even mm. the people you don't really know, they're nice, they take care of you. Yeah. That's not the world. Mm. Is that when you meet a person that you don't know, you need to assume they're a bad person. Mm. And people are probably like, Whoa, whoa, <laughs> hang on, you can't tell your little kid that. Really? Okay, yeah. uh, I think I'm proven correct. Right, yeah. Immediately, I was proven correct. Mm. Um, the world is filled with bad people, mm-hmm. evil people. Right. Um, mankind's nature, there's something very wrong, very, very wrong with us. Mm. Uh, now, of course, later, I mean, I'm not a pessimist, so I'll teach her, yeah, all people are bad, but all people can be redeemed by Christ. Mm. And as she grows, she'll learn that truth, too. Right. But... <laughs> I don't want my little kid running around trusting everybody. <laughs> right. Not a chance. Yeah. So, it's a terrible world, you know. This brought it up. And so I know everyone, even in our church, in our congregation, um, and all across America, like, this this little girl dies. Like, mm-hmm. this, help, help it make sense. Like, help it make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. Right. What, did her parents do something? Like, you know, so... It's a experiential problem is a real problem, and mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's the num- still the number one reason why people leave 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 the Christian faith. Yeah, they have they have answering it logically is not satisfactory. Mm-hmm. Experientially, is a problem. <clears throat> I can't make sense of it. They can't yeah. wrap their mind around it. Well, I think that even extends to. Because I, I think kind of piggybacking off of that are people who deconstruct because of homosexuality, mm. like sexuality, right? Um, because they they say, well, these are these are good people, 
you know, right. They just want to love who they want to love. Why would something bad judgment happen to these good people? Oh yeah. So I, I think yeah. just kind of piggybacking off of that problem of evil. It's mm-hmm. not just, it's not just a, a secular problem. It's a theological problem. Right. People have a theological problem with a God who would judge people. Anybody. Right. Pretty much anybody. Who they would deem good. Pretty much anybody but Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody thinks Hitler needs to go to hell. Uh, maybe Kanye now. Oh, yeah. Goodness. And, tr- and Trump. Goodness yeah. gracious. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But every, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. That's just. Right. Isn't that interesting, though? You'll find some really weird mm-hmm. quacks out there that'll be like, nope, not even on him. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is a this is a big paradox. Um, this problem of evil as we experience, he, he raises it here in the text, uh, right in his own in his own unique ways. Mm-hmm. And but I think you should know that he isn't raising some like theoretical thing. He obviously observed this. Right. He observed it just like you do. I mean, everybody has grappled with that, right? Well, we've got so he lays it out in verse fifteen. Yeah. Right. I've seen a righteous person who's perished. And I've seen a wicked person who's prolonged his living, right? prospered in his in his wickedness. Yeah, you, you can just think. I mean, you you brought up you you brought up his um, the the first account after he gets wisdom of mm-hmm. the the two women, the yeah. two the two prostitutes. Uh-huh. Right? They both have babies. Um, the the one mother rolls over on her child and he dies, and she steals the the baby from the other, mm-hmm. and they come to Solomon over this. Well, here is here's the experiential problem of, of evil, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this this woman has had her child stolen yep. <laughs> in, in the middle of the night. Why would this happen? Mm-hmm. So he's, I mean, he's just in his his role as, as judge, he's going to see he's going all to see of this, it. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. yep. So he's grappling with it. I think, you know, Solomon is a human. He's grappling with this tension Right, because Solomon, you know, Solomon, he's seen God. God has appeared to him. He doesn't have the luxury of modern-day agnostics and atheists that could say, well, I'll solve this problem. God's not real. <laughs> yeah. Right? He knows God's real. He's, he's, God's appeared to him mm-hmm. personally. A very, very select class of people. Yeah. He can't do that. So the tension for him is perhaps even stronger, mm. maybe. Than we could experience. Yeah. Um, so he, he's grappling with it, and kind of what he observes is okay. When this happens, there are two ways people are going to resp- respond to this strange paradox as they encounter. Some people are going to attempt to become super righteous, so they'll say, "Okay, well, I don't. I want to make sure that I live long, so I'll be super duper righteous, and if I am, God will be pleased with me." And I can head this off, dying young in my righteousness. Okay, let's let's read that verse again because it's a difficult one. <laughs> You're gonna read it, and just on the surface level, it's um, it sounds really, really contradictory to everything, everything in the Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, "Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself?" Mm-hmm. And he goes on. Yeah. Uh, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Uh, and then verse 18, 
Maybe read 18. Okay, yeah. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Okay. All right. So don't be too good, Shay. Yeah, don't Don't be too good. good. Don't be too bad. Don't Don't be too wicked. Just kind of be neutral. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So don't be don't be overly righteous. So yeah, again, the idea behind this is that these the people who he would be prone to becoming overly righteous is mm. not that they're seeking to be holy, right? Because that's what God requires of us. Mm. It's that they're they're seeking to do even more and go be beyond even what God requires, thinking that they could control God. Mm. Right, so if God has, He's already this. What headed this up already? Several times we've encountered that. You know, there's the day of your death, mm-hmm. and God's sovereign even over that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to change that, right? So if you're observing, hey, well, the wicked live a long time, and well, maybe the problem is, is yeah, we're we're right, but we just aren't. God's just not pleased with us enough. We we should just do more. Mm. We'll be more righteous. We'll become super righteous. Then God uh, will be pleased, and these bad things won't happen to us. That's the idea of it. We talked about the law of attraction mm-hmm. uh, last week. This um, it's it's mysticism, right? But it's been brought into the church mm-hmm. that the words that you say have power. Have power, yeah. And so, if you speak. Um, positive words, right? Um, then positive things will happen to you. Yeah, um, and you see this a lot in the Word of Faith movement. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do they they think that if you if you sow a seed, right, God will return that with you know hundredfold, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the it's kind of the same thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. And so that that. There is a good illustration of people like this. The obvious one would be the Pharisees. So what did they do? Okay, so, you know, uh, the people of God, they did not follow God's commands, and they then they reaped upon themselves the covenant cursings. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not because they weren't super righteous. It's because they, they weren't even following the plain... <laughs> right. The plain teachings of what God said, mm. you know. They went after other gods... They're kicked out of the land. Uh, everything is destroyed. So when we arrive in Jesus' time, we have these figures, the Pharisees. They would fall into this, I believe, because what they're doing is they're saying, okay, this is never, ever going to happen again, this terrible thing. And we're going to make sure it never happens by by creating man-made rules so they make a fence around God's law. You know, I think by the time we, we start reading the New Testament, the, the Pharisees are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but they started as the good guys. Yeah, they're trying to make sure that people will follow God, right? And they won't be, you know, expelled from the land ever again, mm-hmm. right? So they say, okay, well, you know, this is simple. We'll just create a, a few extra laws, <laughs> um, just a few extra, right? Just a few, <laughs> and it'll be like a fence. It'll be like a uh, a warning fence, uh-huh. like. And so, if people never break that fence, well, they'll never break God's law. So God's law says, um, keep the Sabbath day holy. Mm-hmm. Um, six days you work, seventh day is a Sabbath. Right. right? And so that's the law. 
Mm-hmm. That's, that's what God's people are commanded to do. And the Pharisees, they come along and they start saying, well, you can only walk this far. Right, right. Um, if you spit on the ground, right, make, <laughs> right. make mud. Yeah, you've worked. You're working. You're making work. You're like making spit bricks. Um, if you if you push your <laughs> spit bricks. Yeah, we don't want. It. That's how they made. That's how they made bricks, right? Little water, little straw, uh-huh, yeah. little mud. No spitting uh, on the ground, you, George. If you if you push your chair back and it makes a you know a, a divot in the in the floor, you're you're digging. You're digging. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what they they started doing, and they just started adding adding and more and more and more. Yeah. Around everything. Yeah, my uh, my one of my New Testament professors he said that it it was like if God's law said don't drink milk, mm-hmm. um, so there's the plain law, right? Um, then the Pharisees would come along and they would say, well, don't don't uh, don't do anything with cows, <laughs> right? No cows and in Israel. Then don't go down the dairy aisle, right? And then eventually it was don't even go to the store, yeah, um, because don't don't even. Don't, you don't want to drink come, that milk. Don't yeah. even come close to what the law says by don't doing, mm-hmm. you know, don't do all these other, right. other laws. Right, yeah, exactly. And they just became a burden for the people, right? Yeah. Jesus yeah. said that they could they could ease the burden with just the their, the tip of their finger mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're, it, it's all their man-made laws. Yeah. Right. And their hearts are far from him. Mm-hmm. They honor him with the with their lips. Their hearts are far from him. And Paul, right. Paul is the the perfect. He's like the 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 prime super Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Says he's blameless under the law, <clears throat> as to zeal a persecutor of the church. So this is the strange irony in seeking to become super righteousness. He's persecuting God's people, <laughs> like God's right. elect people, mm-hmm. the ones who are following the Messiah, um, who he should be following. Because he thinks he's pleasing God by destroying them, <laughs> right? Um, and so he's and he's destroying himself. And mm-hmm. this is uh, falling into this type of legalism. The really the heart of it is thinking that I can please God and get things better things for myself, mm-hmm. and so I go beyond what He said. Yeah, we talked about this. This is really this can be really hard mm-hmm. because our default is. I've got to do more stuff. Yeah, I mean, right. like, so, so there's so many, so many applications. Right. Well, if I were a better Christian, mm-hmm. then maybe I wouldn't be depressed, and God would right. take this away from me. Mm-hmm. He'd lift that burden off of me. Yeah, you know, uh, it must be that I'm not dedicated enough, mm-hmm. and so I need to, I need to be more righteous. Right. And then, then this wouldn't happen. Yeah, and like I said, the Word of Faith movement, they they will take advantage of that. By saying you need to give more money, <laughs> if you give more money, then you'll experience more blessings. Right. Um, so they're they're fleecing the the sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they are um, they're using that fear. To, yeah. To line their own pockets, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I, I like what you said that this this uh, this really is um, us saying that God is not pleased with us in Christ. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this on uh, on Friday with with Josh, that mm-hmm. we have all spiritual blessings in Christ. Yeah, and there's not there's not um, there's not like a secret treasure room mm-hmm. that only the super the super spiritual can get to. Right. Um, every everything that we everything God has is is ours in Christ. 
Yes. Yeah, and this is the heart of the fatal flaw. What does God require of us? And when Jesus is talking in John 6, Mm -hmm. what is the work of God? Mm. That you would believe in him who he has sent. Mm -hmm. What does God require of you? Simple faith in Christ. Yeah. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Alone. Christ alone. And so, because he has secured everything required, um, this doesn't guarantee anything, though, as far as living a long life or (laughs) not suffering or or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we easily fall into that line of thinking, bad things are happening to me because God's not pleased with me, Mm -hmm. which could never be true if you're in Christ. Right. And so, therefore, your suffering is not because God's not pleased with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to look beyond that for, you know, perhaps different reasons. Yeah. But that you fall into this trap, you know, if I then do more, then God will be pleased with me. Mm. But now what have you done? You've denied the gospel. Mm. We think gospel deniers are like progressive Christians who, you know, make these overt expressions of gospel denials. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a gospel denial to think that God's not pleased with you in Christ, and then to think if you do more, he will then somehow be happy with you. Right. That's a denial. Mm-hmm. That might sting to hear it like that. Sorry, you know, I'm sorry if it wounds those maybe that here, but it's a it's a it's meant to be a wound of a friend, as we talked about <laughs> last week. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So be uh-huh. wounded because uh you can't do more than Christ did. Yeah. God can't be more pleased. So you uh you gave some examples um of ways that we do this, and I had a follow up question. <laughs> All right. Um based on it. Okay. So you get you gave some examples. Mm-hmm. Um, smoking. You're right. Yeah. Like we can think that we're more righteous because we don't smoke. Right. Drinking. Uh huh. We're more more righteous if we don't drink. Or we look at people that don't drink and say, "You're weak. <laughs> you're yeah. weak, brother. <laughs> you're weak. Yeah. You're weak in your faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think that I think that um, as those of us who are reformed, I think we we fall into the looking down on people who aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife had a question, okay. and I tried to answer it, and I, uh-huh. I think uh-huh. I answered it helpfully. Okay, <laughs> in my opinion, it was great. It was a great answer. All right. <laughs> but I, I wanted to see what you said because how do we how do we do this? How do we do this in a practical way? Because um, taking smoking for uh-huh. for example, right? Um, and you gave the example of of RC Sproul, right? Well, RC Sproul, he. He had to start carrying around oxygen, right? And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ask the question: if he hadn't, if he hadn't smoked his entire life, would he still be around? Right. You know, being this awesome teacher and and benefiting the church. Right. Um, there are people that that would say smoking is a sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we? How do we navigate this? How do we navigate? Because. On the one hand, we don't want to be overly righteous, right? right? But on the other hand, we don't want to like he he's going to say in the next verse, "Don't be overly wicked." We don't we don't want to throw up our hands and say nothing matters, right? Right. Um, and there are there are going to be like legitimate differences. Yeah, um, I, I think that we can say as 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 Calvinist, um, I, I would say that the doctrine of election is is. About as clear as it can be mm-hmm. um, in in the scriptures to deny that 
I would say is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we navigate that? Because I, I'm not saying that if you aren't a Calvinist, you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do we navigate that? Um, I guess we'll maybe pick smoking. Yeah, um, yeah I, so, I mean, I think I think smoking is probably a, yeah, good, a good one. Kind of how I think about it is, all right, yeah, I, the Bible really doesn't say anything directly about smoking. So I, I think the, the way I've heard it, maybe you can talk about how you've heard it, is something like, you know, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. We ought not to harm the body. Yeah. And you shouldn't smoke. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, that's, a, that's yeah, that's the way that. Right. Meanwhile, the IFB preacher saying that weighs four hundred pounds because <laughs> he's addicted to sugar and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. And he overeats, uh-huh. so yeah. he's literally destroying himself. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's but that's a but uh, he's more righteous than the smoker. Right. Um. But as we're answering that, we don't fall into a fallacy. Right. There, there is a fallacy, and the it's basically the well. You you do this right. fallacy. Like, no, like no, two, I, like two yeah. wrongs don't make a right. So right. we got to move. We no, what move I'm saying that. is that's not a valid argument. Uh-huh. Okay, right. if you try to live by this idea that well, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore we should take care of it. Well, mm-hmm. then we would all be exercise fanatics. Right. And the Bible doesn't call us to that mm-hmm. at all. It doesn't say, tell tell us be exercise fanatics. You know. And you should try to do everything you can to live absolutely as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Never, ever are we told that. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and that logical connection is not made for us. That's a man-made logical connection. Mm-hmm. Okay. So while, while it is true that smoking is bad for you, there's a whole host of things that are bad for you that we do all the time and we mm-hmm. never think about and we just don't care because they're kind of more cult- culturally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can't then take that idea and apply it as... This makes me more righteous than another person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> According to who? Right. According to God's standards or you? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, it's according to us. Right. We can't say, you know, a non smoker is more righteous than a smoker. Right. <laughs> you can't do it. You just can't get there using the Bible mm-hmm. as our standards. Yeah. So that's, there's that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can apply that out, outward, you know, several ways. Drinking is something the Bible does address. Yeah. Now, so we're not to go beyond that either, but people do go beyond that all the time. Mm-hmm. If people drink and their conscience allows it, leave, leave them be, mm-hmm. leave them alone. Yeah. If there's someone in the church who can't drink, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't invite them over to your house and be like, hey, let's pop bottles. It's <laughs> Christmas. It's Christmas, cuz, and you're popping champagne. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that to your brother? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so we have, we have, we are given these, some things we are given. And so when we become super righteous is when we go, you know what? And if, pe- if people can't drink, that's because they're not, they're just not mature. They're not righteous. They're not as righteous as me. They're just weak in the faith. Mm-hmm. Right. That is no good. Neither is the teetotaler who mm-hmm. says you're a sinner if you drink alcohol of any kind. Yeah. Um, that's, so these are just, some common ones. I mean, there, you could add numerous. The Reformed people, we we like to collect legalistic things, right? <laughs> uh, well, we're Sabbatarians. You're not a Sabbatarian? Oh, man. And then to his wife, are they, are they really even believers? Like, they're so not going to say that out loud. Well, let's... let's. I, I know we're, we're deviating a little bit, but <laughs> right. you brought it up, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought it up. And I, I think, As I, I th- said, I can do this all day in and, the sermon, because there, there's th- so many... I, and I think we need to walk through this just so people can maybe understand what, what do we do, because... Um, so a Sabbatarian would be someone that believes that um, 
we'll we'll just go with the Reformed Sabbatarian. They mm-hmm. believe that the Sabbath has been transferred from Saturday to Sunday. Yeah. So they would yeah. say the Lord's Day, Sunday, is the Christian Sabbath. Right. And so you can look at the Westminster, look at the the 1689. Um, they're not they're they're supposed to devote their their entire day to rest from work and from personal entertainment. Uh huh. Um, and devote it entirely to the Lord to to worship. Yeah, there's uh, a devotion, private devotions, uh, things like that. So, how do we navigate this? Because a Sabbatarian, and and we're not we're not Sabbatarians, mm-hmm. but a Sabbatarian would look at us and say, "You're sinning because you're you're violating the fourth commandment." Right. It's not enough for us to be like, "Well, um, we just follow our conscience," right? Like, well, because. Well, I, I mean, think... you, you could, I mean, once you do that, you can just dive into any number of of sins. Well, I'm just, I'm just following my. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not as clear as I think they would like it to be. Uh-huh. So, you know, Paul actually addresses it. Some people prefer one day over another, mm-hmm. um, and they have their arguments against that. They have arguments against it, but then if you d- drill down in the text, there are arguments against them, mm-hmm. which are, I think, probably stronger. Mm-hmm. They would disagree. Yeah. <clears throat> um. And for even for theological reasons beyond that, in the type of you know, I think as covenant theology progresses, um, I can't and I can't get there for a variety of reasons. Even historically, I think historically it's known Christians worked on Sunday uh, in the Roman Empire. Early, early Christian church, they just didn't tell their employers, "Hey, we're Christians now. We're not working." So, so right. tough, tough luck to you. Uh-huh. I know I did for twenty years, and the entire empire does, mm. uh, but we're not. Um, but they'll be like, oh, but I thought it was Saturday. And be like, yeah, not anymore. We switched days. <laughs> no historical evidence of that. So they no. get up early before work, like 5 a.m., they mm-hmm. gather together on yep. the Lord's Day, mm-hmm. and that's what they called it, the Lord's Day. Right. And so there are a variety of reasons, but here's, here's I think, a good example. Joel Beakey is like the biggest Sabbatarian I know. Okay. He's like super Sabbatarian, mm-hmm. old school, like prepare meals, I think, before the day before even mm. his wife would, so she doesn't have work on Sunday. Okay. Um he would come out, you know, to lecture yeah. in the de- in the doctoral program out there. And most people there aren't Sabbatarians. Mm-hmm. So some were because they're they're Presbyterians in there. It's like a hodgepodge in this it's a pretty pretty cool environment. But he would not fly home on Sunday. He's done, he'd preach, you know, he'd preach all that and then uh and then he'd be like i can't i can't fly home and so they'd make him like a 1 a.m flight and mm. <laughs> he'd fly home at like 1 a.m so but he would never he would never impose his view on other people mm. on other christians because i think you know even he recognizes okay um uh, this is debatable with scripture mm. and we're not going to come to agreement right now so you know what's the mm. loving thing to do is for me to love you obviously profess faith in christ mm. and so you're a brother so what is what are what is the most clear command in this regard between you and I to love you, mm. and and you're to love me, yeah. and I think if you can't even nail that first one, mm. if you can't nail the first one that John repeats in First John over and over and over, um, and even Jesus, he's the one who raised it. How will people know that you're his disciple by your love? And he's referencing love for one another, not love for the world in general. Right. If you can't nail the first one. Right. If you love the Sabbath day more than your brother, mm. you got a problem. Right. You yeah. got a big problem on your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll say, "Well, we're not. We're loving God's commands." Mm. Like, well, okay. 
it's debatable. <laughs> it has been. Yeah. Uh, so these are the type of things you don't want to propel yourself, because always what it is is, is you being more obedient than someone else, mm-hmm. which yeah. can help you feel right. more righteous, more yeah. super righteous. God's more pleased with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're I think you're you're nailing it. I I think it you the what we want to do is we have an immediate gut reaction, um, and instead we need to have some humility. Yeah. Um, especially with some of these these issues that aren't, we can have strong beliefs. Like you can have a personal strong belief um, that the scriptures teach something, but I think at least stepping back and having humility to say, I see where they're they're getting their interpretation, mm-hmm. um, and at least having a little bit of understanding on the less clear passages. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I think that's that's helpful to at least you know um, our our non Calvinist brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, we have strong views, and we we think that the scriptures support it. Um, they have strong views, and they use other scriptures <laughs> to support their views. Right. So I think that the humility is not to say, well, we're both right. Mm-hmm. I think we can at least step back and say, well, I I strongly disagree with your interpretation, but I I can at least see where you're you're coming from. Yeah. The uh you know, in the Calvinist non-Calvinist debate thing, you know, both sides often misrepresent each other. So, mm-hmm. and this would maybe apply to even more theology than just that, but this one's obvious yeah. when you when there are people that disagree disagree with you on something, even important things. You know, if you are breaking clear commands and slandering a brother or sister, right? then you've got a heart problem. Like, mm-hmm. if you're okay with misrepresenting the other side uh, continually, even if they said, hey, you're misrepresenting me, and you continue on so that you can make your case and your argument, like, uh, this sh- this reveals a deeper problem, I think, mm-hmm. than, uh, than what's between you as far as theology goes. <laughs> right. So um, these things have been debated for hundreds of years now, or I mean, if you go all the way back to Augustine, you're you're pushing now a couple, couple thousand almost, mm-hmm. or almost to the couple thousand. Yeah. You know, so these these are going to be debated until Christ comes back. Um, if someone professed faith in Christ, do they show the fruit of the Spirit? If they're converted, then you should not uh, you should not elevate yourself above them yeah. in some super righteous status mm. and look down upon them. We like to do that though; that's our nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes us feel better about ourselves. Makes us feel as if God's more pleased with us yeah. uh, than somebody else. Mm. Um, but the the real danger he's getting at here is the danger to where perhaps something bad happens in your life, mm-hmm. okay? Right. And your reaction to it is to is to is to like double and triple down into like a holiness code that you've created for yourself, right? And if I do more and perform better, then well, bad things aren't going to happen to me, mm-hmm. and you've you've ended up in a place where you're now manipulating God, right? By your action, and you're going to be devastated when you you when right. something bad happens, and you say, "I've done all this stuff. What 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 have I not done?" And we're forgetting that we are beloved in Christ. Yeah, and then you're going to possibly swing into the other extreme, mm-hmm. which is to throw it all off and become wicked. Yeah, 
saying, yeah, well, if that's the way this goes, then I'll just jump in over here. Bad things are going to happen to me anyway, anyway so I yeah. might as well just... I'll just live it up. Yeah. Um, and that's what the the second e- extreme is, or the other pole, mm-hmm. is the, the other side. that they People encounter the problem of evil, and they just they just throw up their hands. They're like, I'm done with it all. Yeah. And they just go after the I mean, world. this would be the dis- deconstruction movement, right? Mm-hmm. Don't be overly wicked. They're, right. they're just saying... I'm not a Christian anymore. Right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm done with that. Yeah. Um, and he, what he's saying is, you know, here's a warning though, because you don't want to die before your time. Right. You have to read it carefully because it's not die before the appointed time. We got a problem. Uh, I guess so. The computer shut down. Oh wow! Well, there's not enough room on the disc. Yeah. How? Oh wow! Yeah, I, I cleaned it all off. Yeah. That's crazy. Huh? Let me take a pause. I'll look and see. Mike could just delete it. Do you want to pause? No, we'll keep going. I'll edit it out. Okay. That's very unfortunate. Now I've got to edit it. I've got to edit it. I've never seen this before on the disc. The disc is interjected.
Uh, what do you want me to say? How much do you want me to talk?
Say what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You ready? You gonna hit start again? Yeah, go ahead and hit start. Cause I'll just put in a, uh, the first part of it will just be like a still photo and then the video will pick up later. You know what I mean? You wanna clap or something? Yeah, I can. Tell me when you're ready, when you hit record. Go ahead. Got it? All right. Okay. Well, we had some uh, malfunctions <laughs> with the uh, with the video, really with the thumb drive, I think, saving, but we'll continue on. So, yeah, the idea now there. I now I don't have to worry about how I look. What do you mean? Well, we had, we were having problems, right? Oh, no, no. You're going to be oh, on that. Yeah. Oh, okay. The first okay. part will just be, it'll just be like a still. Oh. This part will be video. So I didn't have to worry about, I didn't have to worry about how I looked. Previously, then, yeah, yeah. No. So now, well, if, I, if I would have only known, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so there, there's the idea. Is okay because the young, obviously, the, the righteous, they die young. The wicked can die; they can live long. Mm-hmm. Don't respond to that thinking you can manipulate God in either way. Right. The answer is come in balance. It, it's come in balance. Verse eighteen is a strange verse, yeah, and it's translated in some strange ways um, and in different. 
English translations even, you mm-hmm. know, the, there are several different kind of ones, but they all carry, I think, the same obvious meaning. Yeah. Um, Do a little bit of both. <laughs> right. That's that's it. when you first read it, you're like, is he saying, hey, be a little, just be a little righteous, be a little wicked, mm-hmm. get the best of both worlds. Right. No, he's saying, it's. It, I, th- I think probably this is one of those times where there's turns of phrases that get lost, yeah. that are lost to time. Uh-huh. And he's saying some, something to the effect of just uh, be balanced in your life, and here's, how, and here's how I know it doesn't mean be wicked and be righteous, because he says uh, the one who fears God will come out from both of them. Right. So the one who, that's the answer, mm. to be balanced in your life by fearing the Lord. Mm. Okay, if you fear the Lord, you have reverential awe and respect for him, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to come out from both extremes, yeah. because they both contain the same flaw. And the flaw is that both think that um, they could manipulate God. They don't fear Him. Mm. So, yeah. if you fear God, you're not going to try to manipulate Him. If you fear Him, you're not going to throw off all restraint and say, now, "Who cares about God?" You're going to fear, uh, fear the Lord yeah. and not go beyond what is He says. And I, I think that that's um, that that could be a surprising idea for people. We we talk about the wicked not fearing the Lord, mm-hmm. and everyone says. Obviously, right. But the super righteous, they don't fear the Lord either. That could be a little bit of a, a right. surprise for people. The super righteous don't fear the Lord. They think it's possible to earn His favor. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I do this, God will be pleased with me. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's you don't have a good understanding of who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You're talking about this one who transcends all of reality and is holy and pure. You can't bribe God with your good works. No, you can't. And so when you meet someone on the street and you ask them, when you die, will you go to heaven? And they say yes. I mean, hopefully you guys do things like this. Sometimes you talk to people about, you know, or your family members, you're talking to them about the gospel. Everybody says, yes, I'm going to go to heaven because I am basically a good person. Yeah. And what they're really saying is, I don't fear the Lord. Mm. They don't, no, they wouldn't, they don't, they can't, they can't articulate it that way because they have never even deeply thought about the issue. You think, that God is pleased with you because you haven't always done bad things mm. and you've done a lot of good things. We're talking about one who can't even look at sin. Right. Um, <clears throat> that's not fearing him. Now, the one who fears the Lord says, there's no way I could ever please this, uh, this God and manipulate him by my behavior. So I'm not even going to try. I'm going to respect him and I'm going to only do what he asks of me to do, and I'm not, and I'm not going to try to do more. And what does he require of us? He just requires of us, of us to uh, to trust Christ. That's it. Yeah. Now, that's not going to make you an antinomian, because we have the rest of the New Testament. So the one who fears the Lord, who loves Christ, things happen to that person. And we right? are, we're heading towards the end of the book of Ecclesiastes right. also. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have to hold the entire book together, right? right? He'll he'll summarize everything at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the whole purpose of life mm-hmm. of life is to fear the Lord and keep His commands. Right, that's the whole purpose of human life. Yeah, um, and that's really the key to thriving and happiness, which is something He's always drawing us back to. Mm-hmm. We think this book is a downer, but I can't believe how many times He tells you, "Live it up," because life is is as bad as life can be. Yeah, it's really pretty good. God's given you a lot of blessings, mm-hmm. so you need to enjoy life. Yeah. So those are the extremes. When you counter the problem of evil, you can fall into those extremes, and it's a paradox. And yeah. he doesn't solve it in this first one. Okay. Really, he doesn't. 
All right, but the the second half of this passage, 19 through 29, is the paradox of the sin of Solomon. Mm-hmm. All right, so walk us through that. So, I mean, Solomon himself, he's just he's just a paradox. I mean, what, what Winston Churchill said about Russia, is absolutely, it's true of him. He's a riddle. He's wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. That's this man. Mm. And to really get it, you have to like go through his background a little bit. But 19 through 29, I just I believe that's really this functions kind of like a um, a confession. Yeah. And it starts with a statement about wisdom, which everyone says, "Where does this verse come from?" It doesn't make sense that it's just plopped in here. <laughs> which I can agree if you're just, just trying to read this book. So if you're if you're writing a if you're writing a commentary, this is where you just skip it. Yeah, some will say we don't know why this verse is here. Yeah, at least they're honest. <laughs> we don't know why this verse is here. Perhaps a copyist, and I cannot buy this one with what I know. Don't the... you love because commentaries are expensive. Yeah, I mean the cheapest commentary is probably like thirty five. You know, thirty thirty five bucks. Yeah, <laughs> like a good commentary. Don't you love when you spend this money on this commentary? Terry, and it's from a well respected theologian. You get to something like this, and I'm like. I have no idea. Right. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for your help. Um, You spent your whole life studying Hebrew for no reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. I didn't do that. I'm relying on you. Thanks for letting me down. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you have to be an expert in Hebrew. You just have to not get lost staring at all of the trees. Right. So you can see the whole forest, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So he, I think this, this starts with wisdom. And if you understand this now as him talking about himself from mm-hmm. here to the end, mm-hmm. personal, this is a personal reflection about himself. And he starts with wisdom. Wisdom gives strength to a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. How does he know that? Because that's his life. Right. He's the wisest man that's ever lived. So you go back to his, uh, and look at his life and his bio, he becomes a king. At a, he's a really young man. Mm-hmm. He has no life experience. He has no, so he can't, he can't even draw off, off of like a, Things he's experienced in his life, so he has no even ways of looking at things practically, really. Uh, so how's he going to rule this great and awesome people? That's what he says. So, mm-hmm. you know, he he uh, God appears to him. God loves him. He told David, you know, I will love your son, and I'll never remove my love from him because God is mysterious like that that <laughs> he would love this man, mm-hmm. um, knowing what he does. But he he says, I'll give you anything you want in the whole world. And he's, what would you think a young man's going to ask for, you right. know? Yeah. And he's, so he says, well, I don't have enough wisdom. I'm not going to be able to rule these people, these also, this great and numerous people. Please give me wisdom. So God's very happy. He's pleased with that. He says, because you didn't ask for riches or to triumph over all your enemies or a long life. He said, I'm going to give you wisdom, what you asked for, more wisdom than any man's ever had ever before you or after you, and I'm going to give you everything else too. So you're going to have riches. You'll have all of it, peace, all that. I'll give you all of it. And he does. And I thought of it as like, it's, it's like imputation. It's supernatural imputation of wisdom. Makes him the wisest man to ever live. And he's still young. So he, go, he takes this wisdom and he starts to use it. He can, he can actually apply it to the world around him and to people. And he makes Israel the most prosperous nation in the entire Middle East. Kings come from all over the place to sit at his feet ask him questions, he knows all the answers. Of course, the Queen of Sheba, she comes, and she's like, you're greater than I was even told. Mm. And then the text says in Kings that he made silver like uh, like stones, like rocks. So everyone's getting rich. The whole nation's rising. 
because Solomon. And that's what I think this, he starts here. It's his personal experience. Uh, wisdoms give strength to the wise man more than ten rulers. So if you could have ten rulers in Israel, they would not be as good as Solomon, because God has given him wisdom. Mm-hmm. I think that is the point uh, that he's driving at there in that verse. But then he jumps in to start, starts this confession, and the confession really begins kind of with a way of getting you to admit to something. So that's... Um, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins, which would include him if it's every man on earth, right? Mm-hmm. So, but before he jumps into that, he's going to make sure you agree, and he uses uh, the example of um, of people talking bad about others. So, you know, if you hear some servants, it's verse uh, twenty one. Uh, don't take to heart the things people say. You know, don't be listening to people. You'll hear you'll hear your servant cursing you. Um, and you know that you yourself have cursed others. So everyone has sinned in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone could ever deny that, unless they were like super arrogant or something. I've well, I could hear Trump. I've only ever <laughs> talked good about people all of the days of my life. I have never cursed another. I'm like, you just called him Little Marco, or I've or I've only said it to their face. I've never said I've only it, said it to their face. I never call. I I never did it behind their back. Little Marco. You know, whatever. He's got all these weird things. Uh, but nobody would ever, ever try to say that for real. I've never talked bad about somebody. And so he's got you. He's got, okay, yeah, I'm a sinner too. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all in. Paul, Paul uses this in uh, Romans 3. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Never been a righteous man. No one does good, not one. He uses it to make his case um, for the how everyone... Jew and Gentile are both under sin. Uh, Solomon said the same thing at the uh, dedication of the temple mm-hmm. in First Kings chapter eight. Yeah, and so there, there's the confession begins with that. Okay, okay, all right. I'm tracking with you so far. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of gets into, I believe, more personal confessions about himself and his failings. So verse twenty three. <clears throat> let me let me go back to it. My Bible. It's a confession about how he, he has turned his heart to wisdom and sought wisdom really as an end in itself. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. So my speculation is... Perhaps this problem of evil that began this text is a haunting thing for him. It pl- has plagued him. He has this, this knowledge, but he doesn't have all knowledge, because he can't look at you and say, all right, there's a righteous man. Let me add up the things in his life mm-hmm. and th- get an explanation for this. So it sets him on this... It sets him to seek out for things that God never intended him to understand. Yeah. So instead of going, I think, to God with uh, these great mysteries, he goes on this quest of wisdom. And that quest in itself becomes a means of like satisfying the deepest longings of his heart. Mm. And he had ar- he already confessed to this in the beginning of the book in chapter one. Right. And uh, he said that, you know, where it ends is that the one who increases in wisdom increases sorrow. So it didn't bring him anything but pain. So to seek out a good thing like wisdom, 
even if that, like if you're making that an end in itself, he's looking for an answer to everything in, in the entire world. Um, yeah. It's going to end in pain and misery yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering if there is an allusion to, uh, to Genesis 3 here. Because that's that's what right. Satan tempts Eve with mm-hmm. is that you'll be wise, you'll you'll be like God, right? You'll know you'll know good and evil apart from God, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of what Solomon is here trying to do, right? He's, he's been given wisdom, everything that God deems that he should know, right? He knows, yeah, he knows it. And I I think that that would probably apply to Adam, Adam and Eve. And he wants more. And he wants more. Yeah, he wants more. Um, not from God, but kind of apart from God. God gives him this good mm-hmm. gift, and he abuses it. Mm-hmm. Right. And he says it's far off. It's it's mm-hmm. far off and deep, and it's inaccessible. You mm-hmm. can't get to it. Which we'll we'll kind of get into some of that next week too. Uh, because wisdom still is a good thing. You need it to live in the world, right? And by that, by that, and this type of wisdom he'll be talking about is just like universal that everyone needs, mm. you know, to navigate life. But it's like way off, out in the deep of the ocean where you can't get to. Um, and that's his first confession. Uh, the second one has to do with women. That Solomon Solomon sinfully loved pagan women. Did, that one's did, obvious did, in the text. Did, did he? Did he? <laughs> yeah, did he? Yeah. Did he? Trump cannot match Solomon in this area. <laughs> Though he may have tried. He may have tried. Um, what about, prob- probably what about, did. What about Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still thinking no. Um, yeah. And this is a great mystery, and this is why he's a paradox. God already gave him wisdom. He wants more. Mm-hmm. It, and he, like, ruins himself. I think it's just, you know, leads his heart astray. And then these women, and God had warned him. David warned him. God warned him. Like, he's seen God. He's already... He has already professed there is no other God mm-hmm. but God right. at that prayer. Uh, and you look in the, in the it's just a, it's a big tragedy that just turns all of a sudden in First Kings 11, mm-hmm. and it literally it says that he loved all of these women, these foreign women, right. uh, the ones that God told him, you shouldn't take wives from these people. Yeah. They'll turn your heart away. He runs after them. He entered into marriage with him, 700 wives, 300 concubines, so he's got 1,000. Solomon clung to these in love, so it's not like he's just collecting them for status. Mm-hmm. He is like, his heart is after them. Right. He's, uh, lust has led him astray, and he, sa- he gives this warning about it uh, here in this text. He says, uh, in his great quest, which he couldn't find to answer to everything in life, he actually did find something. He found something more bitter than death itself. <laughs> uh, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Mm. The one who pleases God escapes her. So you can't escape. I mean, Proverbs is filled with right. this wisdom to avoid this and how to escape. Mm. But he didn't escape. And this is the strange thing about him. He has all this wisdom that he knows what to do. He just cannot apply it to himself. Yeah. He could apply it to you. You could come to him and be like, Solomon... You know, I have this woman, and you know, but you know, I know God says this. I married. He would tell you exactly the right thing. He just can't do it himself. That's why he's a paradox. So he goes after these women. They trap. They trap him. But really, it's his own lust that traps him. So it's a. It's a war. His confession acts like as a warning. It applies to women as well as men. Mm-hmm. This isn't an indictment on women that are temptresses. Right. 
the issue is his heart. And then it gets even worse because they they turn his heart away from God, mm-hmm. and he begins to worship other gods. You go back to First uh, Kings eleven. It says when Solomon was old, he, they turned his heart away after other gods, and it, that seems like unthinkable. It's wild. It's wild to think about. Yeah, I mean, here here is someone who has actually had God speak to him <clears throat> twice. Twice he's built the the temple. Um, I mean the the glory of the Lord entered the temple, and they they could see it. Mm-hmm. There's not a man on the earth, probably ever in existence, other than Adam, that had more reason to believe mm. that there's one. Like people think, okay, well. It's tough to believe when bad things are happening. Mm. Well, he, this guy's got everything. Right. He, God has showered him with every good thing under the sun that yeah. you could ever have, and he's appeared to him. Mm-hmm. He has every reason to never doubt God and to and to never ever leave him and to follow other false gods. This does stand as a strong warning for the rest of us. If yeah. this can happen to Solomon. Then what's going to happen to us, right? Like yeah. we, if, if we're not on, if we're not on guard, mm-hmm. if we don't, um, if we don't meditate upon God's word, if we don't apply wisdom to our own lives, um, right. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's no one that's going to escape if Solomon can't escape. Yeah, reading, you know, the R.C. Sproul collection and the John Owen collection and all of the Puritans. And knowing all of that theology and being able to apply all that theology to your friends will not save you when the day of temptation comes if you can't apply it to yourself. And that's like it is a huge, he's a huge warning. Yeah. Um, and that's the allure. That's how strong the, temp, the temptation of wickedness is. Right. We, we shouldn't take it um, lightly. Mm. And so I think this is a confession. Really, I think it's a confession. He's confessing. The whole book really probably is. And so, you know, one of the things I was wondering this the past week is like, did he actually repent? You know, is Solomon in heaven? Because the historical books don't record a repentance, mm-hmm. but I don't think they do maybe because this whole book is a big warning. It's his big confession, probably right before he died, and now he tells you, I'm going to tell you everything you could ever want to know about a man who runs away from God and seeks pleasure in things of the world. Here's my big warning, and I'm going to give you wisdom. Hopefully, you'll never follow it. Yeah. And I think this, in this particular, is his. You know, I mean, he uses a thousand. Who else can he be talking about? <laughs> not a coincidence. It's just coincidence. It was just hi- pure. It was pure hyperbole. I'm not saying it's not hyperbole, mm-hmm. but he had a thousand wives right. or a thousand women. Yeah. Um. So I think it's his confession. <clears throat> so we're to be warned. You know, I had this super long illustration, George. Um, it was too long, and I told my wife, I was like, I'm not going to use it either, because there is a way to escape, <clears throat> and it was about me. And she's like, well, maybe you should use it. I was like, but I took it out. Not only was it too long, but it makes it makes me the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I have like a pet peeve. Yeah. If I use an illustration about myself, it's going to be in the bad. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to be the... The yeah. loser of the story, mm-hmm. not the winner. Yeah. So, but you can escape. Um, Solomon could have escaped had he been in closer communion and fellowship with God, I think. Mm. But I don't think he was. Yeah. 
I think it's because he was communing and loving his wisdom. Mm. And so he was ready and primed for this. Yeah. Then the third part of the confession, um, he actually ends up finding something. He starts out by saying, you know, I re- haven't really found anything as I've been searching out the deepest mysteries of the universe, like the problem of evil. But then he actually does get around to it by saying he did find something. Um, and he says, one man, you know, among a thousand I found, but not a woman. And then and all of the all of the feminist heads exploded <laughs> when, they when, read, you were, when they read that verse. When you were telling me how, what a difficult time you were having with the first part of this passage, I read through what you were yeah. doing, and I came to that, and I thought, well... Rest in peace, JJ. Because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what this means. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you some of the options. One guy said, "Hey, this is this is obvious. He's never found a righteous, per, an upright righteous person in the whole world, except for Enoch." <laughs> and I'm over here going, "Yeah, <laughs> where'd that come from? Yeah, where'd that come from? Because Enoch didn't die. Right? God took him up. Right." Okay, but does that mean he wasn't a sinner? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what that means. Yeah, and that would just come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean there's one man saved by works Yeah, on the whole planet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would just come out of nowhere. So I'm not <laughs> buying that there's one man. <laughs> then another said it was Nathan the prophet who, uh, he's not saying that he's not a sinless man, it's just that he is a Torah-abiding, mm. legit man. I don't think that's it either. Kind of where, where I settled is this verse sets up the last verse. And it's like a, an artistic, creative way of saying there aren't righteous people. Yeah. Because he's already said that earlier in the text. He's already said no one does good all the time and never sins. So he mm-hmm. can't now be saying, well, there's one man that never sinned. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to tell you who he is, mm-hmm. but there is. He's just an artistic uh, you said way. There was, you said you found one that's, that was saying that it was the Messiah that he was talking about yeah yeah one person said well he knows he knows that jesus is coming he's mm. the messiah I'm yeah like, well I, maybe i could get there if there was some other textual clues yeah <laughs> to help me get there but just because we know there's one man yeah who's ever lived that never sinned and his name is jesus i don't i don't know that that's what he's getting at yeah i think he's just setting up verse 29 mm-hmm. which which he just says uh, there here's the thing i found out here's what i know from my love my searching God made man upright, um, but man has sought out many schemes. So what? What is he? I think what is he saying? I think he's answering this great mystery of what we had in the first part. You don't blame God. Mm. <laughs> God made God made man upright. Yeah. We're the ones who ruined everything. So if a man dies young in his righteousness, um, God may be sovereign over that, which He's already declared. But if you want to blame somebody for it. Don't blame God. Um, that's where I landed. Yeah, yeah. That's how I dealt with that. That that verse. Yeah. You could say another option. I guess you could say is this is his personal experience. Okay. He literally has a thousand wives, and he has no rela- like real marriage relationship, mm-hmm. not with one of them. Yeah. But that's not really their fault, is it? Right. That's kind of his fault for being a gigantic perv. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah he's like magic johnson of the old testament era you know what i mean i don't think magic johnson had a good wife either that's yeah. what happens 
let the lesson be learned. Yeah. Uh, same thing could be said for a woman. Like, this is how you want to go about relationship with men? You're not going to find one in a thousand. Yeah. So uh, that's possible. And then maybe he's got one good companion that's a friend. Yeah. Of the same sex in a thousand. We can we could see that in our own lives. It's hard to find, you know, good wife, but you can find a good friend. But I don't think that's it. I think he's just artistically setting up that last part. Yeah. Mankind has sought out wicked schemes. Every everyone, himself included, because mm-hmm. he uses schemes of his, to describe his quest for wisdom. Yeah. It's a scheme. I almost quoted the Joker verbatim. You know what I'm talking about? He's talking to Harvey Dent. They're all schemers. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And he goes on this whole thing about scheming, and mm-hmm. yeah. and the end result of the scheming, even the Joker recognizes, right. is it's um, selfish ambition mm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. Mankind has sought out many schemes. Right. Joker was onto something. Uh, he just didn't think he was a schemer himself. Sympath- sympathizing with uh, the villains. He just didn't think he was. Mm. He's a little bit crazy like that. Yeah. All right, so we we come to the end, and we're still talking about the paradox of the problem of evil, right? How do we what what do we do with this? Like what what do we do with this passage? We um, look at Solomon, and we're like, well, if if he couldn't do it, I guess I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> well. I believe in progressive revelation, right? Uh-huh. So I think we have information the wisest man that ever lived didn't have. Mm. Um, or is he the dumbest man that ever lived? Well, it's a paradox. He's the paradox. It's, yeah, <laughs> the wisest, dumbest man that ever lived. Um, don't be like him. But yeah, we have we can, we have the New Testament, so we're able to see. So you you kept saying Solomon's the wisest person that ever lived, and Abigail leaned over and she's like, "He wasn't the wisest person to ever live. Jesus was." Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not yet. Yeah, yeah, he he is until a time. Uh, so Solomon, Solomon is, you know, in some ways, he sets up and anticipates someone that's greater, a greater king in Israel, right. a greater king of peace, uh, Christ, who uh, is the is the ultimate answer to all of this and the problem of evil. But I think not trying to even take away at all from the tension that people experience when they encounter the the experiential problem of evil, like Spurgeon did, it almost ruined him. I think he was on the verge of apostatizing myself, if you read his stuff about how he describes it. Mm. Um, but what rescued him out of that was uh, a thought of Christ mm. as a king, as a as a as like a a conquering king on a on a horse, a war horse, victorious over death. Mm is how he describes it. And he says, and here I am in the ditch, a wounded soldier. Mm. So he looks to Christ and he's encouraged. It pulls him out of that. Um, But when we look at Christ, what we have to see is like, this is the greatest paradox of all time. The greatest paradox of all time. Originally, like as I was looking at it, I was like, this is the greatest paradox. The problem of evil is the greatest paradox. That's not it. The one that we are so accustomed to because we think wrongly about ourselves. We have a wrong doctrine of man. It's mm-hmm. not a paradox for many. They think, oh, well, Jesus died for sinners. Of course. Why <laughs> wouldn't he die for me? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a paradox. But right. the, it, it is the greatest paradox of all time mm-hmm. that the God who needs nothing, who is perfectly <clears throat> holy and just, 
was sent his only son, his only begotten son, into the world, this messed up world of rebellious humans that are only completely saturated and corrupted by sin, that he would make him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's the greatest paradox ever of all time. It's true. He did it, but it seems to be an impossibility, or it should. You should go, okay, I've been thinking about this paradox, the problem of evil, but meanwhile, I've been okay with this one. Mm-hmm. There's a problem there. Yeah. Well, we we um, we vocalize there's no good person, mm-hmm. but we don't really believe it. Right. right. <laughs> well, I'm I'm pretty good. Right. Right. We don't um, in our hearts. Right. We we kind of think, well, maybe there are some good people. Yeah. Yeah. God became a man and died for sinners. Mm. And the Greeks laughed and said, what a stupid paradox. <laughs> right? This is, this, is, this is stupidity. Yeah, Everyone knows God can't become a man and that he would even die for someone else. This is so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we're desensitized to it like that. It should be that shocking. Yeah, It should be that shocking to us to hear of something like that, mm-hmm. um, especially when you understand how fallen into sin we are. Right. So I think this is really where we should when we're troubled by the problem of evil and we will be we don't we shouldn't dwell there. We should think more of this other great paradox. Mm. And then I think Solomon does kind of give us an answer to a degree. It's don't blame God. Of course he affirms the sovereignty of God. But if you want to pl- blame someone, lay the blame where it needs to go. Mm. Um all mankind, we, not just Adam, we have all sought out schemes right. and contributed to the fallen world. So I don't know if that was satisfactory or not, Yeah, but that's the reason there's bags under my eyes. <laughs> I think you did a good job with a difficult passage. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, uh, yesterday we had come back from the marriage me- meeting, you know, and I was like, I told Angie, I was like, I don't know if I got any tank left. Yeah, I got nothing left in the tank, Angie. I ran out. I ran out of words and talking to people. I'm ready to go to bed. Yeah, but it was good. Once I got here, I got some energy back. Yeah, you know that's how it works. Right. Yeah. Well, it's good. Thank you for uh, for your hard work. We appreciate you uh, laboring over the word like that for us. Uh, What's next? So chapter eight, all in one sitting. All in one. It's kind of like. the limitations of wisdom, which he's already hinted at. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't find the answer to some things, but you still have to have wisdom to live in the world. Yeah. You just have to understand its limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You're setting us up for uh, for Christmas. We have a great, got, got, great, got, the, got yeah. the Christmas Christmas season upon us. We're going through Ecclesiastes. Yeah, going to have a great this pre-Christmas vain, sermon. This vain life. <laughs> Really, really, really positive sermon coming. You'll want to just invite everyone uh, pre-Christmas. Um, just gonna have a good sermon on death, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just focusing in on it. Yeah. All right.
Okay, well, uh, it's good talking to you. Uh, we did have a little bit of a technical difficulty, but hopefully it hasn't uh, affected things too much. Um, hopefully this has been beneficial for you. If it has been, please make sure to like, subscribe, share. And um, as always, we hope that this passage, along with all of the scriptures, help you to become more and more conformed to Christ. So uh, we hope to see you next time, and uh, God bless.